Well, I am rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. I'm starting to realize that Firefly was a lot more interconnectedly planned out than perhaps I had thought. Yes, both with, you know, last episode we had the return of Niska. We had the return of uh, Badger in a, a few episodes ago. Now we have the return of Saffron. I mean, Yolanda. You, Yo, Yo Safbridge. Um, they, they were definitely intending to recur a lot of these characters. We probably would have seen Patience in a later episode, for example. Who was Patience? Uh, the women from the first episode, uh, from, from, from the pilot, you know, oh, didn't she shoot you? That li- in the hat. I've no. Oh, her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. It's interesting. They're are they? They're ta- they're getting a lot further from the real Western aspects of the setting, haven't they? They they are and they aren't. I mean, I think that that they're using some of the dialogue that sounds very Westerny, and I think that the planet settings obviously look Westerny because they're filming it in in California. Yeah, but I mean, it's not as blatant, I guess, in these kind of episodes. Part of that is we've been on some more central planets lately, but which I think is the right decision, frankly. Yes. Yeah, I I mean, I like this episode a lot. I think that um, you know, Firefly for me is is a really interesting exercise in kind of realizing that there's a lot more going on than seems to be at first glance. I mean, the only weird thing is uh, uh, this episode did have a previously on, and a lot of them don't, but they do have a little segment in the previously on about the governor or whoever that um, uh, Inara came on the ship with, I think in the previous episode, that still didn't really seem to have any connection to anything that was going on. I'm sorry, I don't remember that. which scene. In the last episode, when Inara had her client come on the ship who was the woman, the woman yeah. That was in this previously on. Oh. I don't know why. Maybe it's just to set up who Inara is because she's talking about wanting clients. I don't know. It seems weird to me. Of course. Because I thought maybe they were going to tie it in somehow. Yeah. If they were going to get off this planet by, you know, talking to her or something. But, you know, it's 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 something that, I mean, Saffron's an interesting character. And I think that we need to reckon with her. Ha ha. Westerns. Because... You know, Bridget Yolanda Saffron, what is her story? What is her real sort of background? You know, on the one hand, I can I think it's kind of weird that Firefly in these early episodes was going so heavy on bringing characters back yeah. like this because you could kind of see that they wouldn't necessarily want to do that. But it is an interesting exercise in a show that is trying to, I think, do something different from a normal television show. Yeah, and, and, and I would say... Uh... You know, Saffron and Christina Hendricks are so wonderful in in there. It's a great character played very well that, I mean, I feel like it was definitely the right decision to give her a second episode just as it was the right decision to give Niska another episode. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the one thing that I think is really – is really kind of interesting about about the way that Firefly is constructing its universe and its narrative so far is that they are going back to things you know pretty quickly, especially yeah. for a show of this era, and it makes me wonder what they had planned for these characters yes. later on. L- like I, I'm, uh, well, what you texted to me last night. Yeah, uh, I, I joked with Richard after I watched Trash that in an alternate universe, Christina Hendricks, you know, did not audition or get cast on Mad Men because she was in season five of, of as, you know, yeah. a main cast member of, of, of Firefly. Yeah, and I mean, it, it is clear that we are going to see her again after the events of this episode. Um, and that, I mean, it's not within the, you know, the, the, the possibility of the crew changing 
is, you know, seems to be inherent of this. Obviously, she, you know, she and Mel do have a connection. They know each other's number, you know, to a very real degree. And I don't think it's impossible that she would have ended up being on the crew eventually. Yeah, because I think that you could really see her as almost a a, a female version of the Jane character, yeah. for example. You know, someone who was really interested in money, uh, someone who was really good at crime, but also someone that their motivations are unclear and you can't really trust them. Yeah. And I also, you know, not not to go f- too far afield from from uh, Bridget Yolanda Saffron, and I'm going to keep calling her that through the, the entire <laughs> podcast because I love it. Uh, Yolanda, I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's such a perfect name uh, that, you know, they, they do deal with what I also had a problem with in Ariel, which was, you know, Jane's, um, you know, uh, 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 Jane's betrayal of, mm. of Simon and River and then Mal finding out and not murdering him. But, yeah, I, I you know, Saffron to me is, is a great character because, you know, again, Christina Hendricks is wonderful and she's a great actress and she plays this character so well. And I think that she really is able to imbue a backstory to this character without really revealing much of anything well yeah they, they, we don't know what yosef bridge's uh backstory is but christina Hendricks does and that's i think that's very clear in this yeah i do get a sense in this uh, you do get a bit of a sense of where she came from you know she was legitimately married to this guy for six years and so you get almost the sense that which, she, she, which is only really because Mal seems to believe her in the shuttle. Well, it, I mean, it is because that you know, and that is true. But it, I think Mal's take on her is that yes, she was you know doing that as a plan to get the drop on him. But and there was some embellishments in that story. But that said, that's probably the closest we've gotten to the truth at this. point. Well, I yeah, I definitely agree with you because I think that that. The one thing that is revealed about Mal so far, more than anything else, is that he is an exquisite judge of character. Yes. I think we, you know, so you, I, I guess the shape of Saffron's backstory, you know, based on what Inara has said, maybe she did start off as a companion, had a relationship with this guy similar to how Inara had with Atherton Wing. Yeah, of course, you know, instead of just keeping her as his as his permanent companion, he ended up marrying her, and you know, maybe she did think that, you know. This is the goal of what a companion is, is to just, you know, find a rich guy and get married and eventually, you know, says that's not enough for Saffron and she kind of snap. you know, Saffron is kind of the evil version of Inara. Inara gets to that point when she's realizing that this isn't enough. So what she does is, you know, she signs on with this crew and, you know, explores the, you know, Saffron, meanwhile, turns to crime. I actually think that's that's a really intriguing idea because, you know, I, I, I don't know how much we want to speculate about, about no. Saffron's backstory. But I think that, you know, since we don't know what it is, since the show was, you know, a, a stillbirth. Um, that that one of the things that I think may be true about Saffron is that, yes, yeah, she did have companion training. She was most likely a companion. She most likely had um, this guy, I forget what his name is, uh, rich guy. Uh, <laughs> as as a client, he decided that he wanted to marry her, not just become her per, his yeah. permanent companion. You know, she decides to marry him because for whatever reason. Yeah. But... Again, in, in you, doing you can that, picture him charming somebody, you know, sure. and, and but, frankly, but the in, size of his bank account. He has a private island. <laughs> but it, Well, yeah, but at the same time, you have to look at it and you say, okay, it seems like that companions are not able to get married. So once you get married, you probably are no longer a companion. You're not, mm. you're not allowed to go back, right? So Saffron makes this life-altering decision to marry this guy. Turns out that she's extremely bored. 
and she's backed up in a corner essentially and she has nothing else to do right i mean she she can't go back to her previous life as a companion where she had money and power and status and she doesn't want to stay married to this guy but she is very wily she is very uh charming she knows how to play people so what does she do she turns to crime i mean i think that that's a backstory that makes sense for this character yeah and yeah so I, 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 I guess one of the questions that I have going to towards whether or not Saffron is lying or not is what is the backstory of this guy? She says that he is essentially the worst kind of war profiteer. He uses bioweapons, slaughters a populace, and then you know takes their seven. We do see that you know he has a private floating island. You know he is as rich as that. Um, he has a phone booth. Yeah. I mean, I love that detail, but why yeah. would why would somebody leaving Earth bring a phone? I don't know. Anyway. But you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> why not? Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they said you know he has a large collection of Earth that was artifacts. So you know, yeah. But why, my my point is like yeah. you're, you're abandoning Earth essentially, so you bring a phone booth with you. <laughs> I, I just you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously when Mal first meets you know meets him, you know he's extremely soft and cultured, and you know. Now, we learn that he is partially putting on an act, but at the same time, you know, he even when he reveals that, he's not a hard-edged person. And Mal seems to believe that she was exaggerating that part of it, but she insists, no, he's as bad as I said he was. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess the question that, you know, the show leaves it ambiguous. Did he profit from the war this way? And I think it's very possible from what we know about the Alliance— well, sure, and I think that that one of the things that is, I think, most frustrating about Firefly for me is that we never will get a chance to examine yeah. that that dynamic, right, between the alliance, between the frontier planets, yeah. you know, the, the the resistance and the alliance. You know, who are since the alliance essentially? I mean, not not to put too fine a point on it, or not to you know sort of you know do a Godwin thing, but you know, essentially, this is kind of like the Axis winning World War II or something. Yeah. You know, who who are these people and what are they doing now? And we know what the we know what the losing side is doing because we know that what Mal is doing and we know what yeah. his his friend Monty is doing. And they say that they fought in the war together and they're both, you know, doing crime and running, you know, smuggling yeah. things. So that's assumedly a way that a lot of uh, uh ex generals or whatever in the resistance went. Yeah, they're smuggling, they're eking out a living on the you know, back planets, they're, you know, not doing well. <laughs> you know, what What did the kind of, you know, gross people in the Alliance, what are they doing now? Well, it's... And it, the answer is they're hanging around on floating islands, essentially. Well, you know, I, I read an interview where Whedon was saying that a lot of this is we are seeing the universe from Mao's perspective, and there would be a different view of the li- Alliance if we were on the central planets. Um, now, number one, I... Which I agree with. And I think they definitely – I really liked the uh, – for example, the alliance officer from Bushwhacked who's very authoritarian and very naive and when he actually deals with the Reapers, he's reasonable. You yeah. Know, he, he, you know, I think that there are plenty of – you know, we need to see a little more of the reasonable people in the alliance and maybe that was – Something that was going to happen as, you know, things went on. There are people who do genuinely believe that, you know, a unified government is the best thing for the solar system. And, you know, we do need to build this infrastructure. And the people who are resisting this are are the problem and they're the reason that we're not getting medicine to. I guess one of the things is this universe has monsters in it. Um, it, we don't, it doesn't have aliens. It doesn't have non-human beings. But, 
you know, it has people like Niska. It has people like this guy who have done extraordinarily awful things to people. Not to mention the Reavers. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, again, the the Reavers are kind of the weird wild card and – you know, we will we'll, we'll get to that in Serenity, I'm I'm sure. But um, I think there is a degree. I mean, I mean the you know the Alliance also has the Hands of Blue, and we're going to meet certain other Alliance operatives in the next couple of episodes in in a few episodes. But I feel like to the Alliance's degree, maybe they feel that having these monsters in this their employ is at least you know taking them in what they think as a productive direction. You know, unhinged, we have Niska. At least we have this guy who now at this point he's gotten all he's wanted and he's yeah. living on his floating island and he's not, you know, biobombing people anymore. Well, and, and, and I mean, and, and frankly, why would the Alliance care if this guy was stealing things from, yeah, exactly. from people that they wanted dead? I mean, it, that, they, they, they may even see this as, as, you know, essentially a quiet payoff for this guy. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's their way, you know. The, the from the alliance's point of view, the alliance is the right thing. The means, the ends justify the means. Certainly, what we, I mean, I guess that's that's the alliance's philosophy is that the ends justify the means. Certainly, um, whether it is in the case of River, where they are, you know, performing all these horrifying surgeries on her, uh, you know, to get a super weapon or whatever. Yeah. Um, whether it's in the case of this guy who just you know slaughters entire planets and you know you know takes their stuff, but, you know, now they're pacified. Um, you know, I think the Alliance feels that at the end of the day, as long as there is peace, it doesn't matter what we did to get there. And certainly the Browncoats' view is that, no, you know, it doesn't really matter what the end results are. You know, there, there may be plenty of independent supporters who think that the infrastructure that the Alliance brings in is a good thing, but... Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think a lot... One of the big questions of this and... This making a lot of sense when it was revealed shortly post nine eleven is what is the price of peace? Sure, yeah, but I think that that that's a question that's never satisfactorily answered in the show. No, because the show I think is not ready to answer these questions. It needs to. It's doing. Uh, I I guess what we're seeing with the recurrence of certain characters, and you know, we probably would have seen that alliance officer from Bushwhacked again. You know, we we would have. Um, I think it was setting a lot of – you know, it is setting a lot of these themes up and making us start to ask these questions and then, you know, maybe season two would be muddying the waters. Maybe, you know, they start working with the alliance commander and then they get to see the more positive and benevolent side of the alliance. Um, well, I mean that is true because, you know, if there's one thing you can say about a Joss Whedon show, created show or, 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 yeah. or run show is that – they they do become very big and world changing and ground shifting. Yes, you know, in later seasons. So if the show seems kind of small right now, if the show seems almost, you know, kind of petite. Yeah, I think, character I think that's growth by is design. almost. Yeah, they they vary the, the, all of the you know not only in the terms of the world and the plot because Buffy may, goes through some major yeah. shift changes over the course, but the characters also have growth and development inherited in them so yes we would you know we've talked about sometimes you know maybe we have a hard time you know necessarily seeing a but we we these people are going to change again jane is already changing simon is already changing well yeah and let's talk about jane and simon and river because that is a, a very small part of this episode but i think it's also one of the most interesting and profound yeah. shifts you know i mean of course there's a great line where river's like i don't forget i can kill you with my <laughs> brain but it is true that, 
you know, I, again, like a couple episodes ago when we talked about Ariel, I did have a huge problem with the end of that episode. And, you know, I, I will, I will, you know, cop to it. I think maybe I was, you know, reacting yeah. on the basis of thinking of this more uh, as an episodic show yes. than anything else. But no, they're, they're dealing seriously with, you know, Jane made this, you know, thing. And I mean, I, one of the things I've been thinking about with Ariel is his reaction after, um, while you have you know Simon is looking at this brain scan uh Jane is waiting to meet up with the alliance and you know take them to that rendezvous and you know Simon is starting to say you know they cut into her over and over again you see Jane getting you know realizing the extent of this and you know you almost wonder if at that time you know he's trying to rush them out to maybe he can you know maybe they can escape even yeah you know? i i almost wonder if he's changing his mind and trying to you know go the alternate path but the alliance is already there um and either way it's very much a fuck up on jane's part that he's trying to make up for you know mal certainly you know mal basically said you know the next one you know you're dead and this is essentially what simon is saying you know now too but I think everybody knows that Jane made his fuck up and Jane knows he made his fuck up and now he is just going to play so much more, you know, straight at this point because, you know, he he knows every Well, Jane is not Jane is not good at this. Jane is not good at planning. And I also don't think Jane is a political person. I don't no. think he really understands or or is even interested in you know the differences between the crew and the alliance and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I don't think he fought in the war. I don't think no. that he has any sort of political bone in his body. He just wants money. So for him, it doesn't really make any difference who has Simon and River. But of course, now that it's clear that he can't get away with it because he's surrounded by people that have his number, you know, I would have been curious to see where that goes. I mean, one one of the things I'm thinking about is, the but it all, but sorry, but it also oh. reveals, you know, Simon's character as oh, yeah. well because he is the one who is saying, "Look, I'm not going to hurt you because I'm your doctor." But yeah. never, never forget that. In a way, that's making it a hundred percent that you know, Jane will never have. Jane, there will be so many opportunities for Simon to always have so much of an upper hand mm-hmm. over Jane and. You know, Jane, this is, you know, Simon disabusing Jane of any notion that he has any power. Yeah, yeah. Um, What I'm thinking of is the bit in Out of Gas where, you know, Mal basically gives Jane a better offer and that's why Jane joins his crew and, you know, screws over his old crew. What he sees with the Alliance, Jane's seeing that as another opportunity, but the Alliance is not playing fair as Mal did, you know. Mal actually did give Jane that, you know, better deal, you know, the better cut and uh, bunk to himself. Uh, the Alliance isn't, you know, the Alliance's bunk to himself is going to be his cell. So yeah. he's realizing, no, you know, maybe I can get better monetary deals than Mal, but nobody is going to protect me like Mal is. Well, and also, I mean, he could maybe get someone to say they're going to give him a lot yes. of money, but... yeah. <laughs> The Alliance certainly isn't actually going yeah. to do that. I mean, there'd be no reason for them to, right? And yeah. and I think that's what he realizes as well, that and it, yeah, Mal, and Mal stays away from the Alliance for a very good reason. Yeah, maybe Jane doesn't agree with his politics and so doesn't see a problem with the Alliance. But now, even though, you know, maybe he will still not be an independent, you know, full on, he knows the Alliance is not to be fucking trusted at the very least because this is what they do. They'll you know cut open a girl's brain and put you in jail for you know actually following the law 
Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, the other thing, too, of course, is that Jane is realizing that he is very transparent. I mean, yeah. there's really no reason for Simon and River to suspect him. I mean, River obviously suspects him because she's some sort of telepath, but it, it, it is, or she sees, you know, the future or something. Who knows what the hell's going on? Or at River. the very least, she reads the situation very well. <laughs> yeah, but, but. It is reveal. I mean, I do like the fact that the show is not leaving these things on the table for a long time. You know, yeah. and I think that's part of the reason why I was sort of disappointed in the end of Ariel and why I like the fact that the show is picking it back up already. Yeah. You know, is that it's not this thing that's going to linger forever and it's not this thing that is being forgotten. It's, yeah, it's no, being, they... it's being put out not in the open because I don't think that everybody knows what Jane did. No. But the most important people the ones that were going to be directly affected by it and Mal yeah. know what Jane did and are never going to let him forget it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, uh, uh, I mean, this episode is a great heist episode. You know, the show does heists pretty well, uh, the train job notwithstanding. And, you know, one of the things we talk about is, you know, the characters all having something to do in the episode. Um, Book doesn't really do much in this, does he? I guess he's... You know, helping with the uh, drone thing at that point, but yeah, I mean, they make a point of saying that everybody has a, a thing to do in this, and yeah. Nara is the last ditch effort to to stop Saffron from from getting yeah. the weapon. But yeah, Book doesn't really do anything. But you know, but whatever. you know, he's he's certainly there. I think he helped Jane. At he, one was point. he was praying. He was praying. He was praying. I really love Anara in this episode. Number one, I think this is the first real Zoe Anara one on one we've seen. Um, yeah, I think I you're can't right. remember any. And I, I, I really, you know, they just have a very short relationship. But they're obviously acting for, you know, Yosef Bridges' benefit. But you know, again, this is an episode that watching again and knowing that every single character is on it, and you know, from the sec again from the second Mal, you know, before Mal opens the box, they've talked about this and they've planned for mm-hmm. Saffron's, you know, ultimate sudden but inevitable inevitable betrayal. Yeah. Um, and, and and I mean and how and how great is that scene directed where you know the the camera is is from the point of view of Saffron just looking up at Inara in that fantastic outfit with Inara yes. pointing the gun at her and Saffron <laughs> and then of course it cuts back and now it's from from Inara's point of view looking down on Saffron and Saffron is just like <laughs> covered in garbage and her hair is all messed up and she does not look glamorous at all and she knows that she ha- yeah. has no power here yeah again as a situation where one character has another completely at their mercy but um, is this a turning point for Inara though has she actually like explicitly you know, committed a crime like this before for them. I mean, I she mean, certainly has not used really... her companionness to get them out of a sticky situation, like in the train job. I think but... to a degree. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily whether Anara would help with every single job, but we're. I mean, we're going to see her in a, in a, in, a, in an episode in a couple where she proposes a job, um, but. I think part of it is Anara is taking – this is a little personal for Anara sure. because Saffron got the drop on her last time and now, you know, she has an opportunity and I'm fairly sure that's how Mal, you know, per, you know portrayed it. Hey, let's let, – you know, let's put you in a position to yeah. have the upper hand again and actually capture her. I think I, I think that's – While wearing a fabulous outfit. I love that outfit. That's just, It's totally impractical but exactly. it just makes her look incredibly badass. Exactly. You know, it's, it's – um, but, but <laughs> I I I think that there I mean certainly Anara is softening towards 
the idea of crimes or whatever. And, you know, she is certainly... Again, I don't think Inara will do every job, but this is not an immoral job in a, in a way. Yeah. Given who they're stealing from, given what they're stealing, and, you know, given who they're, you know, eventually going to, you know, leave holding the bag, I, I think Inara is morally okay with this, which, you know, does – it is true. She is starting to – I don't know. Everybody on the ship is is gray to different degrees. I mean even – as, you know, innocent and, you know, cutesy and little sister as um, as Kaylee is, you know, she immediately is game to figure out how to, you know, look through the, you know, look through the, look through the plans and figure out how to break in and out, you know, she, sure. she's willing to program, reprogram these things, you know, she likes using her. I, I guess all of these people are realizing that, you know, Anara has said, you know, Anara's view towards Mal is that he is working beneath what he's capable of. Um, and especially, you know, her talk about, you know, you could do legitimate jobs. Mm-hmm. But I think she finds this fun and she's starting to realize that, you know, there is a degree of these people are, you know, this job requires all of these people to act at their at their peak. Yeah. And I think she's, you know. Well, and also I think that, that Inara is realizing that this is Mal's way of continuing the fight. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, I mean, he doesn't want to do legitimate jobs because he still wants to stick it to the Alliance as much as he can. Yeah, this is, I mean, the train job was dealing with, you know, they won't take an immoral job. You know, they won't take a job that's going to be medicine or, yeah. or you know, food from somebody or, um, you know, they won't do a slave job, for example. But um, but think about how Inara frames it in this episode when she is having that discussion with him very early on in the episode yeah. about, hey, one of the best heists you ever did was on an Alliance planet, you know, yeah. or a central planet. And she's even trying to true. convince him of, of that now, <laughs> which is interesting. Interesting. I yeah. mean, she's not trying to convince him to run legitimate jobs on a central planet. She's trying That's to convince true. him that there's a lot of money involved <laughs> in fucking over the alliance as much as he can. Yeah, I, again, from uh, and one of the side benefits to the aerial job was that you know they would make money and people would get medicine. So yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, th- that I I think that you know she maybe wants to angle them in a more Robin Hood direction. Yeah, which is fair. Yeah, it's totally fair. Um. This is this is the kind of you know we were a little you know obviously on the first couple episodes I think a little colder but this is definitely um, an episode that is a shame that this was canceled because holy shit imagine where they would have been in season two and three yeah yeah there's a lot of things here that make you wonder that if and... they're willing to take the continuity you know this deep this early on yeah 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 and again I mean I see where Angel went so. That, yeah. that is another I think that was another Tim Minear show run mm-hmm. show. So yeah, you can totally see that that season five of Firefly would have been insane. Yeah. But alas. Alas. Well, there are only uh three episodes left plus the movie Serenity. We're we're coming to the end. Mm-hmm. So we're also coming to the point where we're going to reveal what the next show we're doing is. But I'm not quite yet. Really excited. We're really excited. We already know what it is, but we're not gonna tell you yet. All of us are very excited. That's a clue. <laughs> Well, if you have any thoughts on this episode of Firefly Trash, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. If you would like to show some support for the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. 
We're also on social media. Follow us, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Tuning In Show. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new fans to find us. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Firefly episode, The Message. What is The Message? What does it say? I know. Do you? No. This is Mac. Why do you...